everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow. Lindsay Rhodes here, getting set for week 17. Enjoying a little bit of extra time with my family. I hope that you can say the same. Maybe taking in some bowl games this week. There are certainly some big ones coming up. I'm not really a diehard college football fan anymore. I currently spend so much time going through the 32 NFL teams that I found that I just don't have the bandwidth to add all that college football brings with it. But even I sit down for a few of these big bowl games and playoff games down the stretch, and I found that I more recently, watch the games in a different way than I used to, sort of from an NFL perspective, scouting to a degree for the next level. And that's what I wanted to talk about in today's show, the opportunity that we all have in this next week, week and a half coming up to check out some of the players that we're going to spend months talking about in the pre-draft buildup. And since I know most of you will probably be watching the college football playoffs in particular, I thought it might be interesting to know which guys of that are on those four teams might be the ones that could end up on your favorite NFL teams in the fall, because it's not always the big names, as you guys all know from years past. So I reached out to Dane Brugler, who is the athletics draft analyst, author of The Beast, which is arguably the best draft guide out there. And I asked him to come on and give us a quick rundown of who we should be keeping an eye on. So even if you don't have a team in one of these bowls, you can still have some skin in the game in a scouting sense. So without further ado, let's talk some prospects. It's time to break the huddle. Hurry up, let's go! Two on, two on, two. Ready? Ready? Dane, happy holidays and happy draft season kickoff in some ways, right? Like we're about to kick things into high gear here. I always know that Christmas is when it's like my last, okay, like, let's enjoy this. And then, because as soon as Christmas is over, that's when I know it's just, you know, 15 hour days and just craziness uh, as we kind of, you know, bring this draft class to the finish line. So, yeah, we've got a lot, lot still have a lot, long way to go with the all-star season, the combine workouts, things like that. But, uh, you know, I think for the most part, a lot of haze in the barn when it comes to tape study and mm-hmm. what we've seen this year. Um, so, yeah, really looking forward to, um, you know, this, uh, the process coming up where bowl season is really different this year because of a lot of these opt-outs and it used to be, you know, it'd be exciting to see some of these bowl matchups that we don't usually get to see, but this year, um, you know, with the opt-outs and the transfer portal, it's just, everything's so, so much different than a normal college football year. Um, it, it really, it, it really, and, and you know what scouts don't usually go to bowl games anyways, that's not really how they operate. Um, you know, for most teams, they had to turn in their evaluations already. The deadline has passed. Um, now, if a player or if a scout is living in San Diego and, you know, the, there's a bowl game down the street, maybe he'll go and check it out. But for the most part, um, you know, sometimes GMs or higher execs will go to a few of these bowl games, especially the bigger ones. But uh, they're usually not set up for for scouts. And so um, just it, it's interesting how uh, the NFL teams operate with the with the bowl season as well. From an opt-out standpoint, I want to go back to that. How dramatically yep. have you seen that? I mean, I mean, I can we we can all remember when Christian McCaffrey op- opted out right. and it was so controversial and clearly things have changed dramatically since then mm-hmm. and now for the most part I think people look at it and go like I don't know why he would play, you know, like Yeah. So, uh is that is it more the norm now as and and it's it you know, a guy is an outlier if he does decide to play or is it not that extreme? A hundred percent. And, you know, it's Will Anderson and Bryce Young, Alabama's uh, pass rusher and quarterback, uh, who very well might be the first two picks in the draft. They have 
committed to playing uh, in uh, with the Sugar Bowl against Kansas State. And it's funny, like you find an article online about or, you know, on Twitter and you look at the replies, they're all, why are they playing? What what is this? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Like you're, you know, protect your money and all this. And these guys want to play football. I don't think this is Dick Saban convincing them or uh, anything like that. It's just they want to play football. They they love their teammates. And and it's not to say that opt outs don't love football or don't love their teammates. Of course not. You know, right. You can understand both sides of this. So um, it's definitely. Uh, unusual for a player, especially of Will Anderson and Bryce Young, their their caliber um, projected top 10 picks. It's very unusual that they're going to be playing in their bowl games. Most of the players in the first round will be opt-outs. Now, of course, the playoffs are a little different. Those two semifinal games, you know, we're not going to see opt-outs for that game. But for every other bowl game, we have seen plenty of opt-outs, guys that have said, look, I, I put enough on tape. Um, you know, let me, you know, a lot of these guys are dealing with an injury. It's just, let me get right for the draft process. Uh, let me prepare for the senior bowl, the East West shrine game, things like that. So, uh, opt-outs have become no question, uh, the norm in college football. You're talking about a couple of guys there that obviously are projected to go very high in the draft. So they don't fit this particular situation. Um, but in terms of NFL scouts looking at the, um, the performances in bowl games. If you're a borderline guy, or if you're a guy who's in a situation where, you know, it's a, it's this guy or this guy, you know what I mean? Like you always have those. And at the top of the draft last year, it was Trayvon or Hutchinson. Like, who's it going to be? You have those either or situations as that continues further down the draft. Is that incentive for people to play in these bowl games? Or is it not so much that they're going to look at what you did in the bowl game and use that to propel you, but it's what you do during the draft process that will ultimately give you an edge? How important are these bowl games for those guys? Yeah, and it, well, it's funny because even though us on the outside teams, evaluators might see it as, okay, well, he's you know uh, a borderline top 100 pick and you know another really strong tape could get him into the top 100 players don't necessarily see it like that. Uh, you know, they see it as I I've, you know, I've done enough. I'm a first round player. You know, I belong in the first round. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of how they attack it. They don't necessarily see it as one more tape could get me in there. At least in most cases, I, I think that they, at this point, you know, they've, a lot of these guys have signed with agents. They've been talking with agents. Um, those agents, most of them don't want their players playing in the bowl game. They'd rather, as long as they've got that senior bowl invite or the East West Shrine uh, NFL PA, if they're playing in an all-star game, they'd rather those players get healthy for that, get in preparation for the combine, start that training uh, early. So with all the the noise around what they should do, I think it kind of makes up their decision for them. Um, you know, I don't think they necessarily see it as, well, one more tape and maybe I'll be, uh, you know, be able to go 10 picks earlier, 20 picks earlier in the draft. I just I'm not sure many players look at it uh, from that frame view. From a theme standpoint, are there any themes that jump out at you about this year's class? Um, I, I think that uh, it's all about the quarterbacks, right? You know, like that's what everyone wants to talk about. And last year with the quarterback class, it was a historically uh, you know low class. Uh, we had one quarterback drafted first 73 picks. Um, you know, that just doesn't happen. And this year, everyone was pointing after last year's draft, talking to people around the league, asking about, okay, 
is this going to be a trend? You know, why did this happen? What are we, what are we talking about? And a lot of the answers were teams are willing to be more patient because they saw this year's class and they saw a better quarterback class. So instead of, you know, drafting Malik Willis in the second round or Desmond Ritter in the second round, which in past years, they probably would have, uh, they were more willing to be patient. Okay. So fast forward to this year, this is a quarterback class that is better than last year. I think that has held true. But it's also a very flawed quarterback class. And next year's quarterback class, a 2024 group, when you talk about Caleb Williams out of USC, talk about Drake May, North Carolina, uh, J.J. McCarthy from Michigan, what he could become, Quinn Ewers from Texas, same type of deal. Uh, Next year's quarterback class looks infinitely better than this year's class. And I, I get the I get people get tired of hearing that, you know, next year's class is always better. I get yeah, it. It feels but, a little kick the can down the road, right? Yes. Like what right, we're staring exactly. at now, now that now that it's upon us, we're like, Meh, you're not that hot. But is it going to be a trend that we see this year where a team is more willing to be patient? And it's going to be different from team to team. Not every GM has the job security to say, hey, we can wait another year before we go get that quarterback. But each one of these quarterbacks has flaws. You know, Bryce Young, um, I, I love as, as a prospect, but you know what? He's under 5'11". He's under 200 pounds. That, that's a big issue for a lot of teams. Uh, over the last 25 years, there have been 301 quarterbacks drafted. Of those 301, only two were under 5'11 and under 200 pounds, and neither were drafted top 100. Uh, and we're, you know, uh, we're proven to be long-term starters in the NFL. So Bryce Young is a complete outlier in terms of size, but everything else that he offers, uh, you feel really good about uh, the instincts, uh, his processing, the poise, uh, his ability to move the pocket, escape the rush, his accuracy down the field, checkbox, checkbox, checkbox. So if you can overlook the size, uh, you know, Bryce Young, you're going to feel very good about. And, you know, the Texans likely picking at number one. Is that the direction they go or is size going to be an issue for them? And it's not just size, but durability, because he's the type of guy that will hold the ball, hold the ball, hold the ball, and needs to take better care of himself uh, just in terms of not taking a lot of those big hits. So uh, CJ Stroud uh, from Ohio State, a really uh, accurate passer when he's in rhythm, but when things fall apart and he's outside of structure, that's where he's just not as comfortable. And in the NFL, you know, whether it's Justin Herbert or Patrick Mahomes uh, or, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts, these guys live uh, outside of structure. That's where they make a lot of their plays. That's today's NFL. And so yeah. CJ Stroud, that's why I've compared him to Jared Goff. And people look at that and say, oh, why, why are you killing the kid? That's not meant to be a, like a true negative. I mean, Jared Goff is actually playing really well right now for the Lions. And people forget he was the number one overall pick. Not that long ago. So, um, but when you talk about a, a you know a slender frame, his ability to know where to go with the football and be pretty accurate with it, that's what CJ Stroud can give you. But if you know under pressure or if he's asked to move the pocket, not really the strength of what he does. And so, you know, that's that's not going to be for everybody. And then with Will Lev- Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, two big mobile quarterbacks with big time arms from the SEC. Uh, Levis is a little more, um, uh, um, he's more, a little more seasoned, uh, in certain areas where Anthony Richardson's a little more raw, but both have really big ceilings. And it's just a matter of, do you trust this guy to realize his full potential? So the theme of this quarterback or for this draft class is going to be these flawed quarterbacks. How early do they go? And, you know, what, where do teams feel comfortable drafting them? It's really going to be a fun conversation the rest of the way. I've heard a lot about the tight ends in this year's class too. Yeah. 
Definitely. I mean, and that's it's, obviously uh, a specific, I don't know that the positional value is like one where people are going to, you know, go reach for them. I saw some people talking about the Notre Dame tight end is like the best prospect they'd ever seen coming out. Is that a little bit over the top? A little bit. I mean, I, I like Michael Mayer, but, um, and I, and I've seen some call him a, a top 10 lock or top 10, like he's just, he's a good player, but I mean, I, I think that's putting it a little a little, it's a little too lofty uh for no him. Kelsey, not yet no i mean he's just not the, i don't think he's that type of athlete he's a good athlete um he he is a really good combo tight end where you want him to block you want him to be a, he he might be the best contested catch tight end i've evaluated the last five six years uh he's so strong at the catch point um it, the way that i mean you could tell he, he's a former basketball player you know post up uses body strong hands finish to the ground um you know and, and he's not a bad athlete he's just not a, a, a travis kelsey athlete um and so i i in my mock draft I, i've i've come out with one mock draft so far i had him coming off the board in the 20s to the Bengals, uh, which i think would be the appropriate spot for him to go um and, and really you think about it and this is something i've had this conversation with teams When's the last time a team drafted a tight end in the first round and three, four years later, they felt really good about it? It's not a long list. It's it's really not. And, you know, you look around the leagues, the best tight ends, third, fourth round picks, whether it's uh, Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews or, you know, George Kittle uh, was drafted later on. Um, you know, even a guy like Kyle Pitts, who I don't think the Falcons have any regrets about drafting where they did, has the return on investment hasn't been there yet. Well, they haven't even tried to return any yes, investment. Yes. Like they're just like, 100%. hey, let's let's go get this guy and then not use him at all. Let's do that. That's fine. Hundred percent. Yes, that is a big part of the the Kyle Pitts story so far uh, in his NFL career. Uh, but you know, T.J. Hawkinson, you know, a top ten pick who totally. uh, didn't didn't get that type of value when uh, the Lions went ahead and, and traded him. So, um, Otter, you yeah. Know, yeah, who and I think a lot of teams are going to look at that and the fact that this is a strong tight end class. I, I do think I, so far I have five tight ends that I have graded as either a first or second round pick. Uh, Michael Mayer from from Notre Dame. Um, I'm a big uh, uh, fan of South Dakota State. Uh, Tucker Craft, uh, small school guy, but um, you know is a guy that grew up in South Dakota. You know, doesn't it wasn't highly recruited, but he just grew into this monster. And South Dakota State's still playing football. They're going to play in the FC, FCS tra- uh, championship game uh, first week in January down in Frisco, Texas. So people can check him out. Uh, Darnell Washington from Georgia, uh, a really uh, unique player. He's the the leanest 285 pounds I've ever seen. Um, and he's really athletic, but a big time blocker. And, and I think for the right team, he could be in that top 40 mix. You think, of, you know, the Titans or, uh, you know, a team that really values the run game and what he could bring as a blocker, um, as well as a pass catcher. Uh, they're going to re- be really high on Darnell Washington. Um, and then also a big fan of Oregon State's Luke Musgrave and uh, Utah's Dalton Kincaid. Uh, both those guys are NFL starters. So, uh, and it doesn't end there. I think we could go, you know, talk five, six more guys that should be drafted in top four rounds. And all of a sudden, maybe you're not going to draft instead of drafting a Michael Mayer in the top, you know, 12, 15 picks. You can wait and still feel good about the tight end you get in the second, third round and go for more of a premium position in the top half of round one. So this is a really good tight end class, but I think it's really good between picks 20 and 120. I think that's that's where you're going to feel really good about drafting a tight end this year. 
That makes more sense from a positional value standpoint. And then also the fact that there are a number of different guys and directions that you could go, obviously that's going to push them down. Right. Probably um, I would guess. So looking at the college football bowl games that are coming up that are left still um, there's obviously the playoff games, as we mentioned, where we're going to get our full complement of players to get a chance to watch. And I want you to kind of take me to, through uh, the rosters there and who we should be specifically paying attention to. But before we get to that, the the other games that are left, you mentioned Alabama is probably one of the only ones that's going to have the guys not opting out that are relevant on our draft radar. Uh, So Alabama, who else do we need to keep our eye on? You told us about Bryce. Yeah, Bryce Young, uh, the quarterback who has put enough on tape, but he wants one more game. And hey, that's great. I mean, Kansas State is... Uh, yeah, they just won the Big 12. Uh, they've got a pretty solid team. Um, but uh, uh, really interested is on defense to uh, see Will Anderson. Um, I mean, last year as a sophomore, had one of the best seasons we've ever seen from a pass rusher. Uh, had over 100 tackles, and that's as a pass rusher. And he led the nation uh, with like something like 32 tackles for loss. Um, number two in the nation was like 21. I mean, it wasn't even close. Uh, this year, he's had more of a target on his back. So the production hasn't quite been there, but he's still been a top five um, in the nation in terms of pressure, uh, pressure rate, things like that. So Will Anderson is uh, now again, we, we do this every year with the guy that, you know, has been labeled as the uh, the number one guy. We did it with Joey Bosa. We did it with Nick Bosa. We did it with Chase Young, Miles Garrett. Um, and, and we did it with uh, and I say we and I just mean, you know, the, the public at large. Uh, a lot of people have done it with Will Anderson, uh, you know, kind of picking, poking holes in him. And well, is he really that good? And it's just like this guy is an elite pass rusher. Um, he's now he's not perfect by any means. Uh, he's probably going to come in around 245, 250 pounds, does not have that elite bulk or you know body type in terms of just carrying that weight. Um, my biggest concern with Will Anderson is the finishing. He will get to the to the backfield, but the missed tackles are something that really bothers me. Now, his disruption is still pretty impressive. It's still production, but finish the sack. Finish, you know, once you get your hands on the ball carrier, get him to the ground. That's an area that I, I really want to see him uh, get better, uh, not only just in this bowl game, but uh, once he makes it to the NFL and as a rookie, I think that's something that, he, you know, he needs to take that next step. Um, but he's a really young player. Um, Alabama, you know, they've got uh, plenty of guys up and down the roster. Uh, Brian Branch, the safety. Uh, he's my number one ranked safety in this is year's he a class. Safety? He's, he's, a, he's a nickel. He's, he is a guy that you want to play him free safety, he could do it. You want to play him at nickel, uh, he, that he could play that too. He plays that star position for Nick Saban that Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, you know, made popular, uh, you know, five, six years ago. And so that gives gives you the versatility that you want to play him uh, as at more of a, a post safety. You can do that if you want him to cover the slot receiver man on man. You can do that, too. So I, I think that that versatility is a big part of what makes him a first round player, not just the athleticism, but it's the intelligence. It's the anticipation, understanding what the offense is trying to do, understanding field leverage. Um, he's just he's very advanced for compared to most juniors at the college level. So uh, to me, the clear cut number one safety, but, you know, could also be a nickel can also cover. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot to like about Brian Branch. So th- those two guys on defense uh, be keeping a close eye on for Alabama. Does that versatility expand the number of teams that he could fit in, like defensive schemes? Yeah, I think so. And because and, and, and 
the way that NFL defenses are constantly evolving, you want guys like this. So if you know, you want, uh, and it depends on your opponent, right? So if you're, um, it, it, you know, depending on who you're playing, if you want a guy to be a true nickel for the entire game, because, you know, the, you know that they go up against, uh, you know, say it's Devontae Adams, and you know the way they use Devontae Adams out of the slot, and you want someone that you know you can trust there, okay, well, Brian Branch could be the nickel the entire game. Or if you want to be, uh, use him as a safety based off of how your um, offense is probably going to uh, you know, attack you, you can do that. So I, I think that, the way NFL defenses in today's NFL are more uh, flexible uh, they're more uh, willing to adapt. I, I think that Brian Branch is a, is a perfect answer for the modern day NFL because of that versatility. All right. Anybody else that we need to be keeping our eye on there before we go to the playoff games? Well, I mean, it's sticking that game. Um, uh, Kansas State's got a few guys. Cooper Beebe, um, he's a left guard. Uh, he, I think he's going to be a good chance to be a top 100 pick, uh, plug-and-play guard uh, in the NFL. And then they have a pass rusher, uh, Felix uh, and Duque Uzama, who uh, <laughs> has a, a ton of production. Yeah, I, I, I went as fast as I could, so, it, you know, it, it sounds right enough. Um He's he's a lot of fun because he can get to the quarterback uh, uh, in the backfield constantly leads the team in tackles for loss, sacks, forced fumbles. Uh, he's a face up, uh, you know, who's going to uh, mix in a lot of different um, stab moves, ghost moves. Uh, he can open up his own pass rush lanes. A little inconsistent as a, as an edge setter, but uh, he's a guy that uh, he keeps his pursuit alive constantly. That motor is always going. So that and that's why I think he's going to be a top 100 player, um, assuming he comes out. He's an underclassman, but assuming he comes out, um, you know, he'd be a good guy to keep an eye on because he could be a, a day two pass rusher in this draft. How many draft picks are we likely looking at in these uh, four playoff teams? Like, are they stacked or is it, um, you know, a lot of college talent that isn't going to make it to the next level in some cases? No, I think that, you know, it, 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 it makes sense that these four teams are our final four, you know, you, you can see the talent and a lot of that I think will translate. So, um, you know, and, and regardless, Ohio state, uh, Georgia, you know, they have been the two along with Alabama have been the three biggest producers of NFL talent the last uh, handful of years. Um, uh, more than that, but uh, most recently, uh, especially. So, uh, you know, every year, even if Ohio State's not making it, you know, they're sending some of these talented guys to the next level. Um, so this year, yeah, it's it's a pretty loaded group. Um, and, you know, TCU's the newcomer, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they're the, the team that no one saw coming into this mix. But even uh, TCU, a, a big reason why they're in this college football playoff is because some of their, their NFL talent, guys that you uh, expect to be drafted and you know be on NFL rosters uh you know next fall and the number one guy for TCU is Quinton uh Johnson the wide receiver who was the first receiver off the board in my first and only mock draft that I've done so far uh you know he's 6'4 215 pounds runs really really well um not the most seasoned route runner but the way he can the way he can move the the mismatch uh, potential the tracking skills down the field uh, you can understand why some teams are going to have him atop their wide receiver stack, um, you know, when draft time comes around. So, you know, he's going to be a big part of it. Do you have a comp for him? Um, are we not there question. yet? 
Not one that I love. Um, I don't think I wrote one down in my notes. I mean, I he's uh you know he, he's a guy that you know you can see uh, all the talent. It's just he needs to get there a little bit more. And he didn't have the most productive season. Uh, he was hurt a little bit. But TCU they like first of all they love the ground game. They lo- love to use a run and they love to mix the ball around. So he's not uh, you know a guy that has this this big time production. But you see the talent. And so, you know, it'll be interesting. If I come up with it on, I'll, I'll come back to that. Uh, so, but he's you not having not watched a lot of TCU, just based on your description, George Pickens mm-hmm. is popping into my mind. Yeah. And, and I think that's no, I think that's uh, it's not crazy at all. I mean, I think when you talk about size, you talk about ball skills, because that one thing that you loved about George Pickens was the ball skills. Uh, I think he had like three drops in his career at Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you loved not, and the crazy plays are great, you know, the acrobatic plays, but just being a, a consistent catcher of the football and with Quentin Johnston, he will have a few drops. So I think that is where it doesn't quite line up, but in yeah. terms of body type, in terms of athleticism, I do think you can make some parallels. Route running improvement. Right. But a guy that when the ball's up in the air, you like your chances that your guy's going to come down with it. Yeah. We can edit that out. <laughs> if it's a bad comp i don't want to put it out there but literally that's what was popping into my mind just based on your description i was like this is what i'm picturing i'm picturing george pickens yeah johnson has a few more drops than you want to see but i think just body types yeah and athletic big men that can go get the football yeah i think that makes sense um okay what about what else for tcu uh obviously the quarterback quarterback had a ton of success at the college level and has declared that he is leaving TCU and coming out he's not a name that you mentioned when you were rattling off the top quarterbacks in this year's class no and I yeah runner up for the Heisman um I mean no one saw this type of success for him this year um he is a a guy that is you like the talent but he's still far away from being this polished quarterback um he's a uh you know once his first read's not there he is perfectly fine pulling it down and running. That, that's a big part of what makes him uh, such a successful college uh, quarterback is his mobility, his ability to pick up these chunk yards. He's uh, you know, good size player. He's six, one by 215 pounds, really tough. Um, you know, he's not like, I don't want to compare him to Jalen hurts because obviously hurts has become an MVP candidate and his development as a passer has taken Jalen hurts to this, just the, this next level where Max Duggan, it's, it, it would, it's hard to see him advancing to that type of level. But with that said, day three, if you're looking for a developmental quarterback, he's got a big time arm. Um, you know, he's, he does a nice job, not, you know, making that fatal mistake. Um, and he, like I said, the toughness that, I mean, watching him this year, uh, he will run through a brick wall for his team and it, that, that competitiveness, that toughness, that's something that will uh, translate well to the next level and something coaches be really interested in. So um, I don't think he's going to be, you know, this first round pick, but day three, you're looking for a developmental quarterback. I could understand why you'd want to look at Max Duggan. And he did get an invite to the senior bowl, which will be a, a great opportunity for him to, uh, you know, go to an environment where he's going to be asked to do NFL things in terms of, uh, you know, the routes and different things, uh, you know, with what they do in the practices. So um, I am interested in in seeing how he does there in Mobile and how that might affect his draft projection and where we think he'll get drafted. You mentioned Jalen Hurts. How do you think that Jalen Hurts, the way he has developed, will potentially change quarterback evaluation at this stage? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something I think every uh, every team is asking themselves this, right? You know, how do we, in our building, how do we evaluate the quarterback position and how can we get better based off of you know, what happened with Jalen Hurts situation? And look, it, he didn't, he wasn't drafted top 50. Um, and if the Eagles didn't draft him in that late second round, there's a good chance he falls to the third round. So a lot of teams did not see this coming uh, with Jalen Hurts. And I don't, I don't even think the Eagles saw this coming. It, it feels like just, it was this time last year, we were talking about, okay, hey, they have two first round picks next year. So they could maybe trade up and get CJ Stroud or, you know, like it, it wasn't even last year, we weren't totally sold on Jalen Hurts, uh, you know, being the future. Um, I, Jalen Hurts moving from Alabama to Oklahoma for his final year. Um, I, he did get better as a passer, but he still was not throwing with anticipation. He was throwing in the heavy coverage. Um, you know, that last year at Oklahoma, throw on the Texas tape, throw on the LSU tape from the college football semis that year. It, it was just, it was not really good quarterback play. And so it's not like he, you know, we saw this coming. Um, but I think that you saw the talent. The number one thing with Jalen Hurts that I think, you know, we have to put more stock in for quarterback prospects is the mental toughness because, you know, and this, this applies to Josh Allen as well. Josh Allen was, you know, had very, you know, the, these dips and valleys um, at Wyoming. And then also his rookie year, people were calling him a bust after his rookie year. Um, and obviously Josh Allen's, you know, turned into Josh Allen, not a bust. <laughs> no, nothing. You know, these two guys are MVP candidates, you know, the two of the best quarterbacks we have in the league. And it really comes down to having that, that, that that mental toughness, that competitiveness, the fortitude to work through the mistakes uh, and it, because you're going to have these bumps, but you have to work through them. And that's why, you know, we hear all the time about um, young quarterbacks and all oh, have to sit and learn quarterbacks get better by being on the field that, you know, by seeing coverages, by understanding what the defense is trying to do. And then, you know, okay, making a mistake, but then not making that mistake again and learning from it. And you just, things you don't get through simulations or just studying the playbook. And so being on the field and working through those growing pains, that's a big part for a lot of these quarterbacks. And, you know, that's, Honestly, that's what we're seeing with Zach Wilson right now. He's he's not been able to show that that mental toughness to work through these mistakes just yet. Now, maybe has he not has he not had enough opportunity to do that? I no, and I, I don't want to I mean, say it's still like oh, early. Yes, I don't want to say the book's written and you know it's it's over for him. Um, you know, he's we're going to see him a little bit more, and it, it'll be fascinating to see how. Um, you know, the, the, the Jets is off season, how they attack the the quarterback position, what they, what they do. But, um, you know, we're seeing a young player who has not been able to get over those, the, uh, right. you know, those road bumps. And so with Jalen hurts and, and, and it goes back to college too. remember, uh, you know, he was playing in that national title game against Georgia until he struggled and they brought in Tua at halftime basically. And Tua leads him the national title. I don't know about you, but if I was Jalen hurts in that moment, I, I mean, I would have crawled up in, a sh- in my shell and just, you know, uh, like, but this, this, maybe game, this isn't for me. Oh, yeah, exactly. But after the game, Jalen Hurts was uh, talking to the media like I'm so proud of him. And like, you know, we just won the national title. He wasn't what was me. I mean, and, and it takes a different type of dude uh, to be wired a certain way to in that moment uh, have that type of perspective. And, you know, the next next year at Alabama, he wasn't the starter. Uh, Tua was a starter and he played backup. And then in the SEC title game, when Tua was injured, Jalen comes in 
and played hero. So, you know, this is a guy that has gone through a lot of adversity and having that mental toughness to overcome it, to work through all your mistakes and not just feel consumed by the weight of the world, which is what it feels like playing quarterback in the NFL. That, that, that to me, that's the big difference between Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts, uh, between them and, and some of these other quarterbacks that just don't make it, who have talent clearly, but they're not able to make it the next level. And, but it's hard to evaluate that, right? Yeah, it's yeah. one thing to say, okay, this guy was a, a captain in, in college, but it's another to say that, you know, you throw all these situations at them and they'll be able to come out of it, um, you know, on the other side better than they were before. Um, but, you know, okay, Will Levis from Kentucky, he's a guy that uh, you love the toughness, the physical toughness and then the mental toughness. Now, is that enough where, uh, you know, he say the Panthers draft him in the top 10, He's going to have his ups and downs as a rookie. Is is he have that in him to work through that and uh, you know be better because of it in year two, year three? Maybe uh, I, I bet you there will be teams that look at Will Levis and say, "Yeah, he does. He he I mean, he's a really smart guy. We know him. He's a four GPA type of guy. Um, the the physical toughness is off the charts, and we know how competitive he is. The coaches say, "Look, this guy's not afraid to fail," and that that that's a big part of it. So um, Will Levis he could get, uh, you know, kind of benefit from this. When you see Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen, these guys, um, you know, a big part of their success being the intangible factor, uh, that that could help a guy like Will Levis, who is still developing as a passer and needs to see things quicker, but uh, has the physical tools. And if he's got the intangibles, if you're sold, I can understand why Will Levis could be, uh, you know, your pick there in the top five, top 10. The problem then becomes, how do you evaluate that, right? Like, how do you, how do you project? Maybe it's as simple as like, well, not nothing simple, but like, you know, go back and look at like when he throws a pick, what does he do on the next drive? How does he respond? Like, cause it's just so hard to evaluate mental toughness. It feels so subjective. And that's of course where we get into trouble. And then you've got, then you've got guys like Gino, you know, and that's more of an NFL evaluate, I suppose, as opposed to an evaluation coming out of college. Maybe that, that alters the, um, patience that a team has with somebody, you know, in terms of developing, um, a little bit, um, someone who needs a little bit more time. Okay. So that's TCU. And then we've got, and then we've got Michigan who, who pop, who's going to pop to us here or who, who should we be looking for to pop? Uh, well for Michigan, I mean, you know, they obviously had the number two pick in the draft last year um, with uh, Aiden Hutchinson. And, you know, they lost a lot on the defensive line, but they still got talent on that side of the ball, uh, especially on the defensive line with Mozzie Smith, nose tackle, uh, who's been in the news recently for the wrong reasons. But um, this guy, he was number one on Bruce Feldman's freak list. Uh, he's 300 and uh, probably generously um, around that 320 mix. But, you know, he can move really well, moves like a much smaller player. Um, he, so he can handle double teams, but he also has, uh, if you line him up one-on-one, he can beat his man and, and create disruption in the backfield. So I'm interested to see him. 
Um, on offense, you know, we're not going to see uh, Blake Corum, their really talented running back who probably would have been a Heisman finalist if not for his knee injury against Illinois, uh, wasn't able to play in the Ohio State game or the Big Ten championship game, had surgery. Um, but his backup uh, is only a true sophomore. So he's not draft eligible yet. But that Michigan run game, they're going to lean on that heavy. And that offensive line is a big part of that Michigan run game. Uh, there's a few future pros, the center, Olua Timmy. Uh, he's not a top 100 pick. I don't think he's he's more of a late round guy, but he's a player that, um, you know, has, has done a really nice job for himself this year. Won the Remington Award as a top center. Um, the left tackle, Hayes, is a good player. Um, Zach Zinter, uh, the guard. So in uh, Michigan, just won. Uh, the Joe Moore award as the top offensive line in college football. So, and they won it last year too. So back-to-back years, that offensive line, there's a couple of future pros that are going to be, uh, you know, starting at uh, probably at this time next year. So for Michigan on offense, it's all about that ground game, especially that offensive line. What about Mike Morris on the defensive line? Yeah. And he's one of those guys that has stepped up with Hutchinson out. Um, You know, he's been banged up a little bit down the stretch. So, you know, play, Played sparingly um, against Ohio State, and um, but when he he's a big upright runner who once he gets a few steps of acceleration, he can go through you. Really physical hands, um, and what I like most about him is he shows up in the run game as well. So not just a, a guy that's going to create havoc off the edge as a pass rusher, but he can shut down the run game. And that's, as we know, it's a big part of what uh, TC wants to do, um, not just with Max Duggan at quarterback, but Kendra Miller, the running back, who uh, if he just decides to declare and be in this draft class, he's got a chance to be one of the top you know, 10, 10 to 12 running backs drafted. It's, it's shaping up to be uh, a really strong running back group this year. And Kendra Miller is right there in that mix. So, uh, you know, Mike Morris, uh, he is taking himself from maybe a fourth, fifth rounder over the summer to now we're talking about him in the top 100, maybe that type of guy that could uh, move up even more with a, a big playoff. Ohio State and Georgia. So this is where if you're a scout, you you watch this game and just say, OK, yeah, he's a dude. He's a dude. That's a dude. Um, and it's just a matter of, okay, is he going to be in this class or do I have to wait till next year? Cause some of these guys, uh, talking about you, Marvin Harrison, Jr. Uh, won't be eligible until 2024 draft, but, uh, he would be easy wide receiver one. If he were eligible in this class. And it's funny. I, I tweeted that out in September and I, I, the other day I was looking through the replies on that. And, oh, he's not even a top receiver on his own team. And it, and it fast forward, people are coming along. They understand now. Marvin Harrison Jr. is just a freak. He's got a lot of his dad's skills, except in a six three and a half, two hundred 200-pound body. Um, total freak ath- athletically as well. Um, but I don't want to talk too much about Marvin Harrison since he's not draft eligible. But why he really matters in this game is because he'll probably go up against uh, Keely Ringo, the Georgia corner, who has a chance to be a top 10 pick. This is one of the freakiest athletes in college football. He's 6'2", 210, going to run a 4'3", um, but he's got a little boomer bust to him because as good as he is uh, as an athlete and uh, you know the movement skills and the physicality because of that size, he's just not there yet in terms of uh, understanding what the receiver is trying to do, different route combinations, um, the awareness. And so I, I think my prediction for this matchup, when we see Harrison versus Keely Ringo, 
is Ringo is going to guard against getting beat over the top. And so he's going to give up a lot underneath. I think we're going to see Marvin Harrison with a lot, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, simple curls or whatever these routes, you know, these underneath routes, we're going to see Marvin Harrison rack up the catches, but he's they're They're going to do a lot to limit the winning deep winning the vertical game. And that's what Ohio state likes to do, especially with Marvin Harrison. Um, so slants comebacks, Marvin Harrison's going to eat, but as long as Ringo doesn't give up the big play and if he's able to get an interception here, that will certainly help his cause. He's trying to, uh, you know, prove himself why he should be corner number one in this draft. Um, you know, there's a couple of the contenders in there, but uh, like I said, he's a freaky dude. But some of the detailed parts of playing the corner positions where he needs to get better and going up a guy, uh, against a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr. will certainly help. Um, on the other side, uh, for for Georgia, their big skill guys, not really at receiver, it's more the tight ends. Uh, I mentioned Darnell Washington earlier, but also Brock Bowers, who, um, like Marvin Harrison, is a true sophomore, not draft eligible, but um, still, he's one of the biggest playmakers in college football. They're going to be going up against the Ohio State safeties, Ronnie Hickman and uh, Lathan Ransom. Um, Hickman's already declared. I don't believe Ransom has declared yet, but there's belief that he will. Um, whoever, there's a good chance whoever wins this matchup, uh, the Ohio State safeties versus the Georgia tight ends, whoever wins that matchup might win this game uh, because the, Georgia relies so heavily uh, on on their tight ends, not only as pass catchers but also in the blocking game uh, where they get you know Kenny McIntosh going. Um, that, that's a big part of their offensive game plan. So what can Ohio State safeties do? We saw them against Michigan. It did not look pretty. So what what uh, adjustments has the Ohio State safeties made so they're in a better position to succeed against Georgia's tight ends? Uh, both Ohio State's uh, safeties, Ransom and Hickman, both could be top 100 picks, 100, top 125 picks. So you know they're guys that are you know well liked by the NFL, but it's a tall task going up against Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, two of the best tight ends in the entire country. Where does uh, Stetson Bennett fit into all of this? I was going to say, we have to talk about the two quarterbacks, right, in right. this game. Um, first with Bennett, you know, he's a guy that you immediately – and, you know, when he first kind of became the quarterback, starting quarterback a couple of years ago, you're like, I mean, who's this undersized guy? Like, it's just – it's Georgia. You should be able to get, you know, a five-star, um, you know, and, and they used to have, you know, Jacob Eason. He didn't work out there. Um, but Stetson Bennett is talk about a guy with, you know, the, uh, the determination to, you know, he's been told no more times in his life, um, you know, in terms of, uh, making it on the football field, but he keeps coming back and I give him a lot of credit. Um, he has a legitimate chance to get drafted now. And that is not something I would have said just even over the summer. Uh, that's not a, a, a guy that's had a lot of draftable grades, but you look at what he did this year and he, the, the production's not amazing. Um, in my opinion, he was not a Heisman finalist. Um, I mean, not over Hendon Hooker or um, even a handful of other guys, but as you know, Georgia being the number one team, yep. you know, he, he, you're going to go and you have to have a representative. And so he was their guy. Um, I, I like Stetson Bennett. Um, he's a guy that when he needs to use his legs, he can, um, he's not the most polished passer, but he's taken big strides and, and improved in a lot of ways. So I, 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 and like I said, I, I don't think I would have been saying this over the summer, but he has a chance to get drafted late now. Now on the other side, Ohio state, I think if there's one player who 
has the most to gain from the college football playoffs, it's C.J. Stroud for Ohio State. Georgia, this will be the most talented defense he's ever seen in his life. Um, and it's basically a road game. Uh, so, you know, if Stroud can put the team on his shoulders and consistently move the football and, and finish with touchdowns, not field goals, that's going to send a very convincing message to NFL teams. Because um, right now, Stroud, he does not have a universal approval rating uh, with NFL teams. Um, he's not this top five lock that Twitter tells you that he is. Um, he's a fantastic rhythm passer, knows where to go with the football. And I think that's why he projects as an NFL starter. Uh, very structurally sound with a setup, his reads, um, his execution. He anticipates well based off his pre-snap looks and the ball placement's very, very good down the field. Uh, he allows his talented receivers to go make plays. However, if Ohio State's going to win this game, he needs to be more of a creator. It, it's not in today's NFL. And I said this before, it's not enough to just be a passer. You have to be a creator as well. And to beat Georgia, he has to be able to do that. And this is not something he has shown consistently on film. He's not a natural improviser. Um, he doesn't look comfortable scrambling or buying extra time. He's a good athlete. It's just that's not his comfort level. Um, against pressure this season, uh, he has only five touchdowns compared to, I think, seven turnover-worthy throws. So it's just not the numbers that you want to see. Now, part of that is uh, Ohio State's offensive line, especially the tackles, are really good. And so he consistently didn't have to face pressure. But when he did see it, the results weren't, weren't positive. Uh, of all the passing yards this year for C.J. Stroud, only 10% of his passing yards came while under pressure. You look at Bryce Young, it's like 27%. Caleb Williams, it's like 26%. Um, so, you know, they've done more with pressure compared to C.J. Stroud. So they look at Georgia defense last year, they had eight draft picks off that national uh, title winning team, five first rounders off that defense alone in, in the first round. Uh, the names are different this year, but the re results have been similar. They have the number two scoring defense in the nation. They're allowing less than 13 points per game. Um, you know, this Ohio State offense, what are you going to do with that? C.J. Stroud, you went 0-2 in your career against Michigan. Um, you know, you, you've had uh, three, four weeks to, uh, you know, really uh, study your opponent, um, understand what Georgia wants to do on defense, how they're going to attack you. What is your answer? And so I, I cannot wait to see C.J. Stroud in this game to see how he does come up with uh, it because that's what the quarterback's all about. And this is why I love Bryce Young is because he's a problem solver. C.J. Stroud, one of my questions with him is I, I need you to come up with more answers to the test against Georgia. Can you consistently come up with answer after answer after answer with what they throw at you? Um, so it's, it's a big, big game for C.J. And, and normally I, I think that gets a little overblown, you know, into oh, there's a lot on the line for this player. I, I, the haze in the barn at this point, like I said, you know, it, scouts care about body of work. They care about you know what you've done over your career. One game's not going to make or break you. But I think it's human nature, right? You know, yeah. whether it's consciously or subconsciously, you're looking at how they do on the big stage against yeah. the, the best opponent you've played. Uh, you know, what is your answer? What it, let's see a show up. And so I, I'm, I can't wait to see CJ Stroud and see what he does. Who's a guy who's going to um, really benefit from the pre-draft circuit who didn't necessarily pop during the season? There are always these guys 
who Mm -hmm. for one reason or another, their team didn't use them, you know, in a way where like we were talking about them every Saturday, but like the, the tangibles are all there and people become enamored, um, come January, February. I think one of my favorite players in this draft who I think fits that is Christian Gonzalez, uh, corner for Oregon, uh, Colorado transfer who, uh, you know, he's, I, I just, I think he went really overlooked, but you know, he's six two, 200 pounds. Uh, he's going to run well. I think you should test, uh, really well. Um, there's a lot to like there with Christian Gonzalez so much so that, uh, I think he could be corner one in this class. I think he could absolutely go top 10, but I don't think he gets nearly enough love, uh, nationally. And I think that could change in the pre-draft process if he goes and, you know, runs a four, three, at the combine and, and does really well in the three cone, things like that. So I think he would fit. I think, you know, looking at um, a guy that is a little bit out of sight, out of mind, because he basically missed this entire year, Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio state who, um, you know, and, you know, for a lot of people, they're talking about him as a, a top 20 pick um, in the summer. He has that big Rose bowl game last year against Utah but had a hamstring injury this year, tried to come back a few times, just didn't happen. Um, he's shutting it down, getting ready for the pre-draft process. If he's able to, um, you know, it, it, and he's, I don't think he's going to be this big tester, but I, I think that just getting back on the field and going through these drills and just reminding uh, teams like, oh yeah, hey, I'm still pretty good. I, I think that because he's been out of sight, out of sight, out of mind, um, Jackson Smith and Jigba is a guy that can get back into that first round conversation. Um, you know, there's a couple of guys like that. Um, Drew Sanders uh, from Arkansas, linebacker and Alabama transfer, former five star. He should be a big time tester um, and, you know, kind of have a chance to, you know, at Arkansas, you know, I, I think it gets a little bit overlooked. But, um, you know, he came in at number, I think, 25 overall in my mock draft uh, to the Giants. He's a guy that once teams see him at the combine that's something that should really help him um, see him move. Uh, just, it, it, it's a little bit different for a guy that's that size, um, you know, help the guy like Leighton Van Der Esch go in the top 20. Um, I think it could help a guy like, uh, like Drew Sanders. He has that type of ability. Okay. Last question. Um, whether we're going to see them or not uh, here in the, the bowl games down the stretch, is there a running back in this class that is so outstanding that you think that a team will will take them in the first round. Yes, I mean, if Bijan Robinson, uh, the Texas running back, falls to the second round, um, so, someone messed up. I mean, it's just he's too good. Um, I don't think he's Saquon good, but he's right under Saquon. I mean, he he's better than I think better than Najee Harris, better than Travis Etienne. Um, two guys that were in the first round last year or two years ago. Last year, we didn't have any first round running backs, uh, but Bre- both Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker, I've, I think I've shown, hey, we should have been. Um, I I don't, just just me, my personal philosophy, I don't, I don't get the discourse with uh, drafting a running back in the first round. Now, paying that running back and, yes. and you know, making him a fat part of your, um, uh, your salary cap, I, I understand that argument 100%. But if you're a team that's ready to uh, compete, a guy like Bijan Robinson can take your offense from here to here. I mean, it, it can really elevate you and directly affect the scoreboard. And I get the argument that, you know, we can draft a running back in the fourth, fifth round and still be pretty. Yes, you can, but not on this level. Uh, we're talking about Bijan Robinson. 
And, you know, I think a lot of things that we said about Ezekiel Elliott coming out of Ohio State, which was why he was a top five pick, we're going to be saying about Bijan Robinson. Um, you know, he's he's so dynamic. Uh, the balance and burst are, are special. And then his feel for space. He has this instinctive feel that he knows how to get that, uh, that uh, to find space and, and to really uh, attack the defense. And he's really good through contact as well. He's got the body type. And I, I, I really like how Texas used him. They would line him up in the slot and, you know, go run a post. I mean, they, they would let him forget the running back route tree. He he runs the wide receiver route tree really well. So I think Bijan Robinson, um, you, you can make an easy argument. He's one of the top 10 talents in this draft. It's just a matter of, okay, who's going to draft him? Um, I it, it's that's that's the tough part. You know, if you do a mock draft and kind of go team by team, there's not a lot of like, oh, obviously they could use a guy like, you know, like a lot of teams could, but would they use a first round pick on him? It's it's not an easy thing to find. Uh, like I think the Eagles and Miles Sanders is going to be a free agent. They have two first round picks. You think about that second first round pick maybe, but the Eagles, they're an organization that doesn't believe in drafting running backs in their first right. round. They haven't drafted a running back in the first round since like 1986. So, um, you know, it's each team looks at this a little bit differently, but Bijan Robinson's one of those guys that can make you rethink your philosophies um, in terms of the running back position. He is, he, he is that good. And then the other thing that I think hurts him is the fact that this is a really good running back class. Um, last year we had, I think three running backs drafted in the top 90 picks this year. I mean, we could have eight running backs drafted in that, in that span, maybe close to double digits in the top three rounds. It's a really deep running back group with a lot of these juniors that are coming out. Um, so it, it'll be really interesting. You know, Jameer Gibbs from Alabama, um, Devin A-Chain from Texas A&M, big fan of his. Uh, we can go on and on. There, there's a lot of running backs in this in this class that you feel good about. And that kind of works against Bijan because a lot of teams are going to say, hey, I'm going to draft a left tackle here because I feel really good about, you know, uh, getting my running back in the second, third, fourth round. So the yeah. running back position this year, It'll be it'll be fascinating to see it play out because Bijan is a dude, but um, you know it's just figuring out where exactly he's going to land is a little bit tricky. This is, uh, I mean, I've I've been talking about this way too much during the regular season, but this is the storyline I'm most interested in about the off season because everything you're saying affects the guys who are going to become free agents, and it's a yeah. loaded free agent class. You've got Saquon, yeah. you've got Josh Jacobs, mm. you've got Pollard, you've got Sanders. I mean, like there are some big name guys who I think you could make the argument that it's not in the team's best interest to pay. If you can go plug and play a, a young running back. Mm-hmm. Um, ugh, I think it's all fascinating. Yeah. I said last question. I'm sorry. I lied. I want one more question with you and then I'll let you go. I've taken so much of your time um, no, no. from an evaluation standpoint, since this is what you do, you've got the whole class and you spend months, you know, getting ready for the draft and then you get the answers to the test once they hit the field, right? their rookie season. And sometimes it's, you know, it doesn't become clear for a few years, but is there anyone that has played as a rookie this year where you're like, I want to do over. I think it's gotta be Christian Watson. Um, Christian Watson is, it was a really frustrating study because uh, you know, he's not, doesn't run the full route tree, a lot of drops. He's not a natural attacker of the football. I mean, you can watch some of his clips and He's just mistiming his jumps and clapping at the ball. And it's just, it was, it was frustrating to watch because you see the speed, you see this, the, the size, 
And, uh, but, and so I, I think I gave him like an early, a late second, early third round grade. So I, I mean, I still, I'm, I'm betting on those traits. Um, but he was just so incomplete as a receiver. Packers take him early second round above some of these other receivers. And he's obviously flourished, uh, you know, with, and the Packers get the Packers credit because he's had a lot of drops. He's had a lot of missteps and he has bounced back really nicely. And, uh, some of these routes and different things that the way they're using him, he, they're really showcasing. It could be a simple end around. It could be, um, you know, a, a simple post. I mean, they're using, they're not making it too hard on him where they're, you know, kind of tapping into his strengths with the speed, the size and saying, hopefully he catches it. And when he does good things usually happen. So Christian Watson, the stats look great. Um, his evaluation was a little bit tougher than that. Uh, but I think the Packers are using him in a really smart way. We'll see where it goes from here. Is he able to evolve further and become more of a complete receiver? Time will tell on that one. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of talent there. He's also a guy who's incredibly lucky that he went to the specific team that he did. All of those yeah. things being said, because Green Bay was not in a position this year where they could say, okay, go back to the sideline. You need some time to marinate here. Like they don't have anybody. So yeah. he was in a position where they could, they had to continue to just trot him out there and be like, figure it out. And luckily for them, it looks like he has to a degree. Well, and that's why I, I don't like doing uh, like fantasy football um, stuff before the draft, because it's like, well, it just depends where they end up. I mean, if, if this running back goes so here, much. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, it, everything changes, um, you know, like a guy like Damian Pierce, who I liked a lot uh, coming out of Florida. But it's like the moment he went to the Texans, it was like, ooh. That could really because they don't Texans, they don't have an established running back. If he there's a clear path for him to start as a rookie, and that changes the entire trajectory of him as a player in the NFL. So 100 percent where you end up, that 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 really affects, um, you know, our perception of the player and, and what that player could ultimately become. Dane, I really appreciate your time. I hope you have a great holiday season and enjoy the games. You too. Anytime, Lizzie. And you can follow Dane at DP Brugler on Twitter, and you can find his work at the athletic website. And I know this is getting way ahead of myself, but please be sure to look out for his draft preview guide, the beast when it comes out, usually early in April, it is very good and a really helpful draft document. If you're like me and you want to sit and watch the draft with lists in front of you (laughs) that you can check off as if it's very important that you follow along with who's left and who's taken and who the next team should take. Um, I'll be honest, all this talk is making me very excited about the NFL offseason, but I obviously don't want to wish away these last few weeks of the regular season. Just two weeks left, guys, and then four weeks worth of playoff games. And speaking of playoffs, this is the big week in fantasy, championship week for a majority of leagues, and I will be back on Friday to help you set your lineups for that. The Fantasy 15 with my favorite season long and DFS plays will be out sometime Friday evening. So check that out if you're still alive or if you're interested in making some money playing daily. This time of year in particular, a great time to maybe pivot to that way of playing. If you don't normally play daily fantasy, it's a way to have some investment in the games if your season long leagues are over. So go ahead, subscribe to the pod now and that podcast will pop up as soon as it's available on Friday night. In the meantime, I hope that you guys have some downtime to enjoy yourself this week. Uh, And I really appreciate you spending any part of your week with me and Andrew 
me and Andrew, who is my NFL Roadshow producer. Big thanks to Andrew Emmer, as always. And a reminder that the NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. Have a great one, guys. See you back here on Friday. SiriusXM Podcasts.